We uh, are going to be looking in James today. If you'll look, uh, look for the book of James and find that, we're in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. James 3. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, for you know that we who teach shall be judged with greater strictness. For we all make many mistakes. If anyone makes no mistakes in what he says, he is the perfect man, able to bridle the whole body also. If we put bits into the mouths of horses that they may obey us, and we guide their whole bodies. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So the tongue is a little member and boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. Today I want to talk to you about the power of the tongue, what we say, what we mean, how we communicate. These things are so, so very important. Each week I try and do a lot of reading. I want to find some things to add to my sermon. Some weeks it's a a good illustration, uh, hopefully one that's inspirational and will help us all. Sometimes I find something that's funny, and, uh, you know, a little humor doesn't hurt anything. Uh, Some weeks, it's a great quote uh, that would be an idea that would be great to kind of hold in our minds because of its meaning. This week, uh, I want us to hear a quote of Bear Bryant. As previously announced, following Alabama's 21-15 victory over Illinois in the Liberty Bowl in 1982, Bear Bryant bowed out of college uh, coaching. Uh, He had a fabulous career for 38 years. His record at Alabama still amazes people. He won 323 football games, 27 bowl games, 12 Southeastern Conference Championships, and six national championships. He had the best college team in the whole country six different times. When asked how he would like to be remembered, Bear Bryant said this, that I helped more people than I hurt. Amen. You know, uh, we all need to think about that. We need to think about that. What we say either helps people or it hurts them. And today we want to look at this passage uh, with that in mind. What the author affirms is crystal clear. James says, uh, now everybody doesn't need to be a teacher. That's what he's saying. Uh, teachers stand under a very heavy responsibility. 
the pronouncement that you know in verse 1 probably reflects to generally accepted church tradition about judgment on teachers. You know, teachers are judged. They're judged every week by those that are in their class. They're judged every week by our dear Lord who evaluates what they say and why they said it, how strongly they said it, how meaningfully they said it. This reminder that teachers shall be judged with greater strictness has suggested that a problem of false doctrine was in view. But James identifies himself as a teacher in the expression, we who teach. And he doesn't raise the possibility at all of him stopping teaching. And he doesn't uh, tell anyone else to stop teaching. This indicates that the issue is not heretical teachers who need to be removed from office. The most likely occasion that he's speaking to for his teaching is the situation created by the opportunity of many people in the early church to become teachers. In the early church, if you were a teacher you had extremely high prestige in the church. You were honored. A teacher in that day commanded a lot of attention and following. We have in every generation and in every church across America, we have some of these same issues. Every church wants to have godly, mature teachers. Every church. And you know, if you find somebody like that, you want to honor them and compliment them and encourage them and stand behind them. We have a bevy of wonderful teachers in our church. I am so thankful for those that are breaking the bread of life for us each week here in our family. We have another class that has started today for those that were in the nine o'clock service this morning. Uh, Dr. Uh, Cam is uh, helping Dr. Townsend as they're leading in that class. So if you come to the early service, you would go to that, that class. We need great teachers. You know, great teachers uh, have people come basically on Sunday because they like their teacher so much and they like the people in their class so much. You know, if you want to make friends, the place to do it is in a Bible study group. You get to share with each other, talk for each other, you pray for each other, you do all these things that draw you in a bond of love with those that are there in your class. Years ago in Dallas, there was a fellow named Zig Ziglar. Perhaps you have read some of his books. He's a motivational speaker and teacher and, and really a great guy. I knew him personally. He uh, was a Bible study teacher at First Baptist Church in Dallas. Guess how many people were in his class? About 700. <laughs> and uh, every week a lot of people came because they loved him. And they loved his teaching. They loved that he was so positive. They loved that he was so winsome and affable. 
and everybody just thought he was great. And of course, it drew people to the house of God, and many of the people that came uh, to hear him teach had heard him in some seminar somewhere, and through that, they were led to the Lord. Through our Bible study classes, we set the table for people trusting in Christ as their Lord and Savior. Evidently, some Christians uh, were seizing the opportunity to call to be called teachers. In that day, they called them rabbis. They didn't call them teachers back then. Uh, and they were rushing into the office without a solemn consideration of the responsibilities that they would have as a teacher of a class. James meets this by affirming that no man be so eager to teach that he disregards the nature of his responsibility. In verse 1, James means by becoming teacher that you would become a person with a position in the church. Teachers in that day were held in very high esteem and were held uh, in a position of love by the whole body. This office was apparently among the highest in some of the early churches. James' message was not intended to discourage people from teaching, from instructing other people in the context of the local church. James does not say to anybody, do not teach. He doesn't say that. But he does stress that no one uh, should be eager to teach that overlooks the responsibility. You need to consider seriously the responsibility, the nuances of what you're doing and the folks to whom you are trying to relate and to lead. In contemporary churches, uh, we have a lot of folks that want to teach, and these eager applicants uh, sometimes are not the right people. They might have a superficial uh, motivation. That's not what any church is looking for. Uh, Some church responsibilities uh, involve teaching by people that are highly qualified. And other times by people that are just kind of doing it on a lark. As they think, well, you know, I've never done this before. I think I'll try it. James is aware of the lofty responsibility and the privilege of the teacher. And this perspective would lead uh, not to discouraging people, uh, people that were thoughtless, But also, it would be a position where you could encourage people and help people to really grow in their faith, to be good stewards of the abilities that they have. We need teachers with a depth of biblical understanding. Periodically, I have somebody in our church say, Pastor, I'm having a hard time with this verse. And I say to them, uh, if time and opportunity presents itself, I say, well, walk down to the library with me. And we get down to the library, and I uh, pick three of our commentaries that uh, have the verse that they're concerned about in them, and we read what it says in the commentary about that verse. 
And if all three commentaries say pretty much the same thing, this is what it means, then you know you're on solid ground. If they all say something different, then you need to pray, brother. Because <laughs> you're on your own. Uh, as you hopefully pray that God will lead you to say the right thing. James admits that we all make many mistakes. Did you see that in our text? We all make many mistakes. And this confession is stronger than the original uh, language. In the original language, uh, it really shouldn't uh, be translated mistakes. It should, it should be failing. Many of us fail. Uh, many of us uh, fall. Many of us sin. That would be better translations than mistake. Uh, all of us, over a period of time, obviously make serious mistakes. What James stresses is that men's sins are prominent in their words, in what they say. Today we're talking about the power of the tongue. And we either leave a trail of people that have been helped behind us, or we leave behind us a trail of hurting people. And of course that's not good. James is saying, you're going to make some mistakes, but move forward from there. Move in a helpful direction from there. You know, sometimes we speak before we think. Do you do that every week? I think I do. Every week I'll say something and I'll think, I wish I hadn't said that. Why in the world did I say that? Where did that come from? You know, we all do that. It's a mistake to speak before we think. It's a mistake to stereotype everybody because of the sins of a few. You remember back during the Cold War when uh, we were really anxious about Russia and a lot of people were saying, we need to go over there and blow up that whole country. We need to kill every one of those people, blow them to smithereens. We shouldn't be having a... Cold War, those people are pagans and we need to get them. Well, I knew because I'd heard some missionaries speak that there were tens of thousands of Christians in Russia in underground churches trying to grow in their faith, trying to lead others to the Lord Jesus. It's a mistake to underestimate those that we're teaching. You know, in every class in our church, there are people that were leaders in industry, people that were leaders in academia, people that were leaders in spiritual meetings and groups. So we don't want to underestimate the people that are in our classes. We want to have something in every class that is for those that are highly educated in the Word of God. And we want to say some things that are there for the folks that literally don't know anything. You know, a lot of people come to church for the first time, and the preacher says, turn to whatever passage. They have no idea where that is. And then you read the passage, and they have no idea what that means. 
And so what we do, hopefully, is we encourage everybody to go to one of our wonderful classes. And in the smaller group setting, you can ask questions. You know, all of us were at a point where we didn't know anything at one time or another. And so it's great when we get in a situation where we can learn and we can grow. Finally, it's a mistake not to be prepared. Have you ever gone to a church and the pastor said, well, let's see what we're going to look at in the Word of God today. And they just kind of flip open the Bible. And then they read three or four verses. And then they start talking about those verses. You know, I never get much out of those sermons. You know, we, we need to prepare. We need to spend a lot of time. It really thrills my heart when our uh, Bible study teachers say to me, you know, I've been studying all week, and the lesson this week is a little difficult, but I'm going to give it my best. And I say, amen, brother. Go ahead, give it your best. That's what we want. James claimed that the man who controls his tongue is able to bridle the whole body, our whole body. He's assuming that the most difficult task that a Christian faces is the mastery of his own speech. If control be achieved at this most crucial point in our life, the struggle with sin, we will be victorious. If we can control our tongue. Why can't we control our tongue? Have you been asked that question a hundred times? Let's look at verses 3 and 4. The illustrations of the bit and the rudder stress that when one has, has control of these, he has power over the horse and over the ship. Just as the bit and the rudder constitute the basis of control. So a person should realize that speech, the tongue, is the crucial and controlling point in a man's struggle with sin. In a moment, just a moment, your tongue can destroy somebody. You know, we all have uh, read in the newspaper or we've seen on television or heard on the radio how a bunch of school kids got together and they started bullying somebody in their school. And then, a few weeks later, that person commits suicide because everybody's jumping on them. Everybody's giving them a hard time. And they think, well, I, I don't have anywhere to run. So they kill themselves. And then, of course, the people that did that think, good night, I messed up. That's terrible. I've done a horrible, terrible thing. Well, you know, we, we lift people up by what we say or we tear people down. Some are not aware of the uh, critical nature of their speech or the vindictive nature of their speech. They don't know and they're not aware of how negative they are. One of the great things that can happen in church, if you have somebody like that that you know 
that's a part of our church family, if you can befriend them and love them and pray for them, and then when the time is right, say, you know, uh, you've been just real negative all day. You know, we, we need to kind of brighten that up a little bit. Cindy and I took two couples to New Orleans about 20 years ago, and one of the ladies that uh, went with us uh, didn't like the airplane flight, and she complained about it all the way over. When we got there, she didn't like the airport. When we got to our hotel, she didn't like the hotel. She told us how terrible it was. She said, the weather here is miserable, and it stinks. It stinks in New Orleans, which, of course, it does. I took them out to the places that I had been to many times. I used to live in New Orleans. And at every restaurant, she pointed out everything that was wrong. Food wasn't good. The tapestry wasn't good. The waitress wasn't friendly. I mean, everything. Everything that was wrong in her mind, she talked about. Cindy and I got back on a plane. When she got up to go to the little girl's room, we said, you know, we might not take her on the next uh, trip. <laughs> and sure enough, we haven't. <laughs> you know, we need to change what we're saying if what we're saying is always negative and always critical. That doesn't build anybody up in the Lord. It just doesn't. All right, let's look at verse 6. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is an unrighteous world. Now that's, have you ever heard the tongue described that way? It is an unrighteous world among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the cycle of nature, and set on fire by hell. When I was a little boy in Chattanooga, I think I was in the third grade, I had a good friend that lived down the street, and we would take long walks, you know, all around. About a half a mile from our house, there was a hill, and we hadn't really uh, looked it all over carefully, so we thought we'd go down there and kind of explore around on this hill, and so we went down there, and we walked right up to the top of the hill, and we got up there, and it was kind of fun seeing this new area. We never had been there before. My friend had some uh, matches. And he said, you know, I think it'd be fun if we set a little fire and then stomped it out. And I said, okay. So we started a little fire, and then we stomped it out. And it was fun. You know, we had to stomp over here and stomp over there. I mean, you know, we were trying to get it. And so then we started another one, and we were stomping around. It was fun. We were having a good time. We were laughing and running around. So I started a little fire, and you know, I turned around and jumped on it, you know, and everything. But as a few minutes passed, I realized that the fire was gaining on me. It was getting bigger, and I couldn't stomp fast enough. And so I called over my friend, and he started helping me, and so we both were jumping and trying to put out the flames and all that. I was really hard at it because it was getting bigger. I turned around. And there was a 10-foot wall of flame. 
and I said to my friend, we need to get out of here. <laughs> and we ran a half mile to our homes. And we went right in, and we told our mothers that we wanted to go to the movies. And so our, I think it was my mother that took us to the movie. And as we were driving to the movie, fire trucks passed us going the other way. And we didn't think much about the movie. We were thinking about that fire. And I was thinking, I'm not going to be able to go to the fourth grade. I'm going to be in prison. <laughs> I can't go to the fifth grade. I'm going to be in prison. I can't go to the sixth grade. I'm going to be in prison. I mean, I was terrified at what was going to happen. That fire was big. So we got back to the house, and we both went inside. And a couple of days later, we thought it would be safe for us to walk down there and see what had happened. So we went down there, and the whole hill had burned. Homes and lives and pets were in danger. And we had done that. And it was terrible. It was awful. It was, it was just, I just can't explain how bad that was. It got away from us. You know, when we say the wrong thing, when it comes out of our mouth, it's like a fire. You can't stop it. You can't stomp it out. Once it comes out of your mouth, it's going over here, over here, over here, over here. And it's doing great destruction. It's hurting some people. It's pulling some people down. And in some instances, it's killing some people. You know, when we say the right thing at the right juncture in a person's life, we can make a whole difference in the next 40 or 50 years of their life. We can get them on the right path. They might have been on the wrong path. We can get them on the right path if we say the right thing. If we say the wrong thing, it gets away from us. We can't control it. It just goes. It goes into all kinds of people's lives. Today, I hope as we think about this text, as we think about how the Lord wants to use us, that this will be helpful, that we want to use our tongue to honor the Lord Jesus. Today, if there's anybody in the house that uh, has never trusted and believed in Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day that you would do that. You know, I know most churches don't have an invitation. They don't do what we're doing. But we do it. One of the reasons we do it is because that's the way Jesus did it. He would preach, teach, and he'd say, Will you come and follow me? And people came out of the crowd, and they followed him. And they became his disciples. And you know, of course, that's what we want for every person that's here today, for you to become one of his disciples disciples. If you're here, you're a great Christian, you've been visiting for a good while, we'd love to have you come and join our church, be a part of our family. We want you to be able to 
grow into the various positions in our church so that you can serve the Lord in a very active way. In some of the positions in our church, you can't do that unless you're a member. So we hope to encourage you to come and to be a part of our family. I'm going to stand down here at the front. We're going to sing a hymn. We hope you'll slip out, slip forward during these moments. Let's stand as we sing.